Today on The Black Goat, after the interview, negotiating for your first job and more, and a letter about how much you should care about university rankings. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Black Goat. I'm talking to Samin and Alexa in the same place at the same time. Lucky you guys. Hey, Sandra. Hey. So you're at NITOP, which, what does that stand for? The National Institute of Teaching. Teaching of Psychology. Okay, so you guys are in St. Petersburg, is that right? St. Pete Beach. St. Pete Beach. And this is, uh, um, we're recording on January 4th, the day of the bomb cyclone, although you guys are a little bit south. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this, because if something like horrible happens with the bomb cyclone and we're sort of lightly talking about it a week earlier... People are going to be like, yeah, why were you? Because you? you're on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. We don't <laughs> we don't have a bomb cyclone here. Mm-hmm. We just have the usual uh, gloomy whatever. Um, I was just telling someone yesterday about how great California is, and they were like, but don't you have earthquakes? And I was like, yeah, no big deal. And then last night there was an earthquake in the Bay Area. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but you not just missed the, the earthquake. Okay, mm. yeah. Yeah, Oregon, there was this huge article in i think it was the atlantic that came out a couple years ago about the like oregon has this pattern and sort of the northwest where there's like this giant fault but in california the faults jitter a lot by a little bit and then every once in a while have a big one and in oregon we don't get earthquakes except every couple hundred years we get one catastrophic one Mm -hmm. and so anyway there's this article about how basically the entire state is just going to get like crushed uh when the next earthquake comes this is why i don't have kids yeah (laughs) (laughs) everybody everybody like briefly panicked and you know like we actually made an earthquake kit and put it in our garage and then we kind of I was going to buy like a rain barrel or something to have a water supply and, and sort of lost interest. So if the Cascadia subduction zone finally breaks and I'm dead, you can people listening to this podcast will know it's because I was the grasshopper, not the ant. <laughs> <laughs> so Toronto doesn't have earthquakes or tornadoes, um, but I was home over the holidays and the cold is like maybe not worth the lack of natural <laughs> disasters. I just saw this thing in the news the other day that, uh, or today or yesterday, that in, I think it was in Montreal, not Toronto, that they were saying it was colder than Mars. Like, so somebody looked at, it was like minus 20 Fahrenheit or something. And somebody looked up like, what's the temperature on Mars today? And they're like, oh, it's actually colder here than it is on the planet Mars. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so Alexa, you went back to Toronto for the holidays? I did go back to Toronto for the holidays. Um, I think that I've gone back to Toronto for the holidays every year since I got to Alabama. So I'm always home for Christmas and stuff like that. We have like sort of family tradition Christmas stuff and I go home for that. Um, Did you get any good loot? Sorry? (laughs) Did you get any good loot? Was Santa kind to you? I did get some good loot actually. So, so So my mom often buys me clothing at Christmas because I really hate clothing shopping. And then I get to a point where like all of my clothing literally has holes in it. And then my mom gets me new things. Um, and she's pretty good at shopping for me. Um, she and my dad go together to be fair, but I feel confident that she makes most of the decisions. Um, so she got me some really nice stuff. I'm wearing one shirt right now, even though that's not that informative to listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, uh, my, um, my friend, Jude's mom um, bought me a scarf that I 
really like. It has sweaters on it. It's a scarf that has sweaters on it. Nice. Which I think is pretty cool. If I, I okay, now after we're done, I'm going to go on the internet and see if I can find a sweater with scarves on it, and I'll know what to get you for next Oh, my Christmas. God, that's a great idea. <laughs> Do you guys uh, give and get gifts for the holidays? Yes. Yeah, We my family celebrates Christmas, and I think the, you know, my... I, I used to really enjoy shopping for my wife. My wife is a lot of fun to shop for because she, like, I know I know her tastes fairly well, and she's a very appreciative receiver of gifts. That's but nice. But I feel like ever since we had a kid, it's just, it's harder and harder. And so we now just give each other lists every year, and I always try to buy <laughs> her something off the list. But I was kind of jealous of my son because he wanted, I, I wanted to help him get a gift for her. And so I took him to... There's a, a store called the Made in Oregon store, which totally, when I first moved here, I didn't go to one. I didn't walk in the door of the Made in Oregon store for like 10 years after I moved here because I just assumed it was for tourists. But they actually have some cool stuff. And they have jewelry that's made by people in Oregon. And he picked out this really awesome Oregon necklace for her that's like got a, this little, she really likes state stuff. She's got like Texas stuff from when we spent time in Texas and whatever. And so it was this necklace with a little like gold Oregon and a little gemstone or, you know, like semi-precious thing. And, and so my son, you know, I gave him a, a budget and this wasn't like a fancy piece of jewelry or whatever, but it was really cool looking. And I was like, oh, damn, like <laughs> I just got her what she put on her list. My son like put some thought into it and got her this really cool necklace <laughs> that she liked. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Is the Made in Oregon store where I got my book about Bigfoot? I'm trying to remember it. It I can't remember. It's like the it might best have coffee table book ever. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't do gifts. Well, like there's like random people that if I happen to see something, I like I happen to get a couple people some small things, mm-hmm. but not really because it was Christmas. I, I feel like you got a bunch of stuff in New Orleans. I got a few little things in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then didn't you? You got a book about introverts. Oh, yeah, I got my nephew. So it was my nephew's birthday. That was on Christmas. So, yeah. So my nephew's birthday was New Year's Eve, um, and I was visiting him and my brother and their family um, in St. Louis. And I was, like, he wanted me to, like, do bedtime most nights, and so part of bedtime is he needs to go potty. And he takes forever. I literally watched him poop for half an hour, but he was actually pooping, like, intermittently the whole time. Like, I thought he was, like, putting me on, but he was like, no, I'm not done. And then there was more poop. And I remember I texted Rich Lucas, and I was like, I just watched my nephew poop for 30 minutes. And he was like, that's the easy part. <laughs> Did you have to wipe? No, he's four, so he can wipe. Okay. But then, can, so his okay. birthday party was New Year's Eve, um, and then it turns out that... My his one of his best friends, another four year old, is a kid whose parent whose parents are washi professors, and his dad is a basically a psychologist. Like a, a, his degree is maybe an econ or something, but he works at the business school. And so I spent like two hours on New Year's Eve talking replicability with somebody, and basically inside I was like, I can do this. <laughs> That's cool. I can do a four year old's birthday party if it means talking replicability for a few hours. So you got if you could live a in a world where you only talked to people who are interested in replicability, <laughs> would you choose that world? I obviously have to say no because otherwise everyone's going to think I'm a total asshole. Uh, so in other words, yes. 
So you, wait, you got your your nephew a book about introverts. Was that is he an introvert no, or was that he, just so he can understand his so aunt? So he can understand me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hopeful for the second one. He's not a big talker yet, but that's also because he doesn't know how to talk. But we'll see. So hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> Developmental introversion. <laughs> his high neuroticism. He cries all the time. More than me even. All right. Well, should we do our, our letter? Are we ready to, to talk a letter? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad this person wrote this letter because I also want to know the answer to this question and don't. Um, so I'm probably going to contribute little to the answer and more to just reading the letter. Um, Dear Alexis, Sanjay, and Samin, I would like to know your opinions about the importance of university rankings. Every university seems to brag about their position in various rankings. Well, as long as they belong to the top 100. Does this number really reflect differences in quality of research and education, or is it just another heuristic used to ease decision-making pertaining to funding, employability, and such, but gets blown out of proportion? I'm right now in the process of applying to various graduate programs in Europe. I'm a psychology undergraduate, and I don't know how much weight I should assign to these numbers. At times, it feels like we humans have this inherent need to make everything fit into a hierarchy. Anyway, what are your thoughts on this? All the best, Anonymous. I don't know anything about Europe, but I could speak to the U.S. So I I don't even know how the rankings are made and what factors go into the rankings and who decides in the rankings. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it's because I'm Canadian, but I think it's just because I'm not <laughs> informed. I mean, there's yeah, like I, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I was just gonna say I don't know a whole lot about the European system either. There there's the the research excellence framework in Britain, which everybody complains vocally about, and I've read a little bit about, and that seems. I mean, I, I think you know, sort of like if if you're an undergrad thinking of applying to grad programs, I think that the thing that I would look at the most is the your the lab you're going to work in or if, if this is like a more of a sort of you're in a program like a lot of master's degrees are more of sort of a program rather than a single lab look at the program itself and and what like are you interested in doing the work that you're going to be able to do and and what what kind of jobs do people get and that kind of thing i don't know that the rankings i mean i guess the thing like in so the the british model where they actually apparently dole out funding based on these rankings. That I could see mattering because it, it could actually affect the resources available to you. But in if it's if if it's in a place where it's more like the American system where it's just well, all these different bodies do these rankings, I don't know that they over and above other things that would be more directly relevant. Like if you know that you work well with this prospective advisor and if you know that they've got they're productive and and their students go on to do the kinds of things you want to go on to do i'm not sure that if you know all that that the rankings in the u.s system at least wouldn't really but what if you tell you much more what if you don't know all that like i think the average undergrad applying to graduate school doesn't really know like maybe they are getting a sense of whether they like the, their potential advisor's research and, you know, maybe like through their interactions with that individual, they can get a sense of like whether they would want to work with them. But like, how do you know if it's a good department and like what does, do rankings tell you anything about that? I, I guess if you don't know that other stuff, I would try to find that out rather than, I mean, the rankings might be really sort of like 
if you're talking about like large gaps and large differences, they're probably going to tell you, you know, the difference between one and a hundred is probably going to be kind of meaningful, but I, I would focus on finding you know, read the papers from the people that you would be working with and, and see if they're interesting to you. And, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard because there's also, at least in the, in the U S you know, there, there's also like, yeah, there's just so much going on yeah, I mean, I think universities that impacts whether you're going to have a good experience as a graduate student, but the rankings seem really yeah. rough and distant from. I think people weigh overweight rankings. And I think when you're applying, when you're deciding where to apply, there's not much else to go on. I like, I can understand like if you're going to apply to eight places, like, you know, maybe air towards places that are ranked in the top. 50 or 100 or whatever. Um, but within that, I don't think it matters. And then hopefully you'll get some interviews and then I would base it entirely on mm-hmm. the feeling you have after visiting um, and talking to people who've worked with that professor and that lab and so on, been in that program. Um, so my story, which will sound like bragging, but I think I think it's a story worth telling because, but there's survivorship bias and all that, but still like, I think it's a it was, so I had a really, really hard time deciding where to go to grad school. And I, in the end, I was choosing between Berkeley, Michigan, and Texas. And I think everybody, not even people very far removed from me, like, sure, my parents, you know, my family, we immigrated. They know Berkeley, and they've never heard of, you know, any place else. My mom, like, thought that I worked in Washington State for the first, like, six months of my job in St. Louis. <laughs> um, but even, like, my undergrad teachers and other people that were, like, kind of in the field, you know, were like, obviously you should go to Berkeley or Michigan, but my visit at Texas was so much better and my rapport with my potential advisor there was so much better. But it took me until like April 15th at like 4.58 p.m. to pull the trigger and be like, fuck it, I'm going to ignore all that advice and all the heuristics and just go to Texas. And I think, I mean, who knows what would have happened if I'd gone to Berkeley or Michigan, but I feel confident that it was the better decision and that I am better off now than I would be if I had gone to the places like in psych, you know, Michigan is, has a reputation, very positive reputation and Berkeley just generally has a very positive reputation. So it was like, I think in many people's eyes, a really stupid decision. And I think that I had a very, very strong gut feeling. So it was easy to overcome the like status stuff, but I think, yeah, I think people think that kind of thing is unheard of or crazy or whatever. And maybe it's, Maybe this was a fluke, but I don't think so. I think like having an advisor that you have good rapport with, that you you know has a good track record of on on the dimensions that matter to you. Um, I think those things are important more than the ranking. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that translates to other countries, though. I think in the U.S., like within the top whatever, I don't know if it's fifty or hundred or something, it means almost nothing. Like assuming they're paying you a stipend, and you know, they have an active program, like assuming they're in that category of like places that have a serious PhD program and that's what you're looking for then. So how do they, are the rankings of universities based on undergraduate education? Like how do they give these rankings? Well, in the, in the U S there are, uh, so I don't know the, the different systems in, in Europe. In the U.S., there are a couple different ones, there, and there are graduate program rankings. The so U.S. News World Report does one. I don't actually know exactly how what goes into theirs. Um, I know the NRC, the National Research Council, does rankings of graduate degree-granting programs. Their last round was now some time ago, and it was fairly... It was, it was somewhat controversial, but they, they put things into that, like, 
you know, how many grants and how many publications and all these kind of, you know, numerical indices, that kind of thing. Um, how many awards are people getting, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of based on these sort of numerical markers of faculty productivity, which are themselves potentially problematic, uh, even for what they're supposed to be indicating. And then you sort of translate that into like, how much does that stuff actually matter for your graduate experience? And it's, it really is like, you could be with a very, you know, in a sort of modestly ranked department, but with uh, an advisor who you have really good rapport with, who is, you know, good at mentoring students and getting them into jobs and that kind of stuff. And vice versa, you could be at like a highly ranked program, but just have a terrible abusive advisor or someone who's kind of the deadwood in that program or whatever. So I would, if it, assuming that this person doesn't say if they're going to a master's or PhD program and, and PhD programs generally tend to be pretty advisor and lab focused. Master's programs are a little bit more variable. Some are like that. Some are more kind of you're in the program and you're being sort of taught by the program. And if it's if it's that case, I might be a little bit more paying attention to the rankings or at least looking at program characteristics rather than the single lab. But still, yeah, I kind of don't think there's... I agree with Samin. I think within a pretty large group of universities, there there's going to be other things besides the rankings that matter more to your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think anybody listening to our podcast probably has more information than the rankings, but... Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, this will be interesting because when, when this comes out, maybe all the European people will be like, no, our ranking systems are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of like answering this by the U.S. Uh, norms I predict the ones at the know, top but, of the yeah. European rankings will say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. The top ten will be like, they are so awesome. Yeah, um, cool. Well, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. I Yeah, I, I would actually, if, if people know the European system and want to send us you know, emails or whatever, um, we'll, we'll, you know, we can talk about those on future episodes because that's, uh, you know, I, I think we're all open to being informed and corrected about that. But, uh, yeah. Um, and along those lines, if you are listening and you want to send us a letter uh, to be discussed on a future episode of The Black Goat, you can email us letters at theblackgoatpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at BlackGoatPod. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash BlackGoatPod, and our website, www.theblackgoatpodcast.com. So for our main topic today, are we ready to move on? I just did the whole, like, after the letters bit, uh, <laughs> like, reading your guys' faces, like, no, I have more to say, Sanjay. Why are you moving on? Uh, so for our main topic today, we wanted to talk about after mostly about negotiating but in a larger sense after the job interview so we previously did an episode on the academic job market kind of up to and through the job interview so how do you prepare for an interview what goes on on it etc and at the time we kind of started to get into negotiating and we were running out of time and we said oh we should do a future episode on this and so that's our plan for today is to talk about what happens after your interview so, which is, hopefully, this is good timing for people listening. I know some of this is already starting for people. Some of this will be happening, too. My own department is in the middle of our hiring. We have three searches this year, and one has made an offer, and the other two are going to be interviewing in January, February. 
So uh, um, I think a lot of schools are at the same point in the cycle. But let's talk about sort of right after the interview. So do you guys remember after your interviews, what, like before you heard from anybody, what was that? Do you remember what that was like? my the so I had one interview, um, so thankfully I ended up getting that job. Um, but the chair of the department at the time was Bev Thorne, and she made the process uh, much less painful than I think other people have, like than other people's experiences. So first of all, she told me explicitly, "I'm going to call you on March 7th and tell you whether or not you got the job." And she's gonna. She told me she was gonna call me regardless. Um, of whether or not I got it. Um, and true to her word, she did that. Um, and so like, I think, um, a lot of the uncertainty that can happen after you go for a job interview, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know when you're going to hear. Um, you don't know whether you'll hear if you're not going to get the job. Um, so for me, my personal experience was like much more more positive than that. That's why I remember getting a phone call from you and looking at my phone and knowing that you were going to tell me whether or not you got the offer. And I was like, okay, positive affect, positive affect. I was like, <laughs> I'm terrible on the phone. I'm so flat. And so I remember vividly where I was standing and I remember trying to sound really excited. I don't know if I managed, but I was texting you beforehand. I remember uh-huh. too, because, um, because I hadn't heard, like I hadn't gotten the phone call yet and it was in the afternoon. Um, and so I remember texting, uh, Samin and like, I don't know. We were like joking about how we should like have a long distance drink together because like it sounded like I wasn't going to hear that day. Um, but then I like, I think in the midst of texting Samin, I think I got that phone call mm-hmm. and then I had to call Samin back and tell her. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah. well, that, that was a, Oh, oh I was just, that was a really good, I mean, that was an unusually good way of handling yeah. the search. Right. I, I think if like for someone who's in that position, hopefully They'll tell you like something about the process, but I think it's important to feel to know that it's okay to ask, right? Like, if you right. are have applied somewhere, there's most likely it's the chair of the search committee, but you might have a contact person, some other contact person. But like, it's totally okay to say like, when am I gonna fucked out and and all that stuff. And and sometimes they know exactly, and sometimes they don't. I know for us, like, we have our process is we have a department meeting but then our dean has to approve it and often that happens the same day but sometimes it's a day or two and so we don't always know like we wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't promise somebody i was going to call them on a particular day because i kind of would if i was a search chair because i'd want to wait and hear from the dean and i wouldn't be able to guarantee the day but uh yeah Mm-hmm. I think often people important. also don't give a specific date because if you're the backup, they don't necessarily yeah. want you to know you're the backup. So yeah. And that's tell you what day. that was something that Bev said as well. She said that like she might call me and tell me that I wasn't their first choice and I was their second choice. And she was like, I know that some people like would not convey that information, but she was like, but I think like it, it's better for you to have all of the information. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, I think that was unusual. I would also say if you are in that situation, that's not an insult. You're yeah. being above threshold is so such an achievement that like I wouldn't worry yeah. if you're the first choice or the second or whatever. Yeah, and there's so much yeah. so much that can go into first choice versus second choice that has nothing to do with like some absolute level of merit, you know, there's all these I was the third choice at one place that I got an offer and that was not, I was still flattered. Um but after my interview at WashU, I remember I bought a t shirt from their uh, student union and I wore that t shirt to sleep every night 
until I heard from them. So, I already knew where I wanted to go. <laughs> I wore a lucky t-shirt on March 7th. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I remember, I'm trying to remember, like, I remember really liking Oregon and... Yeah, I I don't, I don't it's been so long now. I don't have super specific. I don't I didn't buy a t-shirt. <laughs> uh but I, I remember I really had my hopes up for for Oregon and was really happy when I got the call from them. So, yeah, so let's talk about that. So, okay, so you've you've interviewed someplace. You're waiting to hear you want to stay in contact with the the people there. And also, you want to let them know if there are any developments, right? So if you're in the very lucky position to have multiple offers, and let's say there's some place that you're interested in, but you hear from some other place first or whatever, you definitely want to let them know, right? Because, well, I guess let's let's get to multiple offers in a little bit. But um, uh, so what else should you be doing? I think the other thing that's probably important, and this is actually something that, that I think we might have said this on the previous episode about the job market, but you probably should be starting to think about even earlier, which feels like you're jinxing yourself. But even before you hear from them, you should be getting ready for the negotiation, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so starting to think about your startup request, like what would you ask for if, and we'll, we'll get into the, the details of like how negotiations work and, and all that. But I think one of the things to be doing during this time is getting ready for a startup negotiation. Yeah, you should um, do most of that before you know whether you got an offer or not. Yeah, and I, I yeah. understand it feels yeah. weird, but I think it's you don't want to have like one day to prepare for the negotiation. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't. I think that I didn't prepare ahead of hearing, um, and then what I what I ended up doing to prepare for the negotiation stuff was getting startup request requests from other people and, you know, asking them what they asked for and what they got. Um, and that takes some time. And I remember feeling like I was not prepared. Like I, I didn't have enough time to get that stuff together. Um, because I didn't start in advance. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the, the preparation stuff, right? So what, what do you do? So I think the, the, that's one important thing Alexa is that Alexa mentioned is getting startup requests from other people who've been through the process recently and, you know, comparable. So people, the, the best case scenario if it, is if it's someone who does work that's pretty similar to what you do and who negotiated at an, a similar kind of institution. Which so if you're really, thinking R1 to mm-hmm. R1, that's but, very important. Yeah, But R1 to R1 is not enough. So like, Even at the few institutions that I've been at, the startups are completely different. And even over the time that I've been a professor, the startups have fluctuated and including gone down. So like there have been shifts of what's standard by orders of not quite orders of magnitude, but quadruple what the what one. So I think you need to get probably four or five people startup requests from different institutions if you can, because it's hard to know what the institution you're going to get an offer from. It's, are they more like UC Davis or are they more like University of Oregon? And you wouldn't think those two are that different. And I don't know if these two specific ones are different, but um, yeah, I think there's, it's like one school who's on paper is very similar to another school could look at that startup request and be like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, and we'll right. talk about what to do if you find yourself yeah. in that situation. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no. So I think that's really good, right? Yeah. It's, it, you want to have multiple so that you can see, you know, and, and again, best case scenario is if these are people, you know, and, and probably if they're willing to share their startup, they're also willing to talk to you and to kind of tell you some stuff about 
how like why it looks the way it looks how how negotiation worked at the place where they sent this to so that you can understand like how much of the way this looks is because of tailoring that they did to who they're asking it from which is going to be really relevant to you but yeah i think within categories it's and it's the same thing too within the small liberal arts college category right there are some that really care about faculty having very active research programs that give them you know startups you know quite substantial startups and there's some small liberal arts colleges where that's not an emphasis and and you can either miss an opportunity or look sort of tone deaf if you if you go in the wrong direction on that too so so don't yeah i think the category is a good starting point but there are, there's a lot of diversity within the categories and this is also something i mean once you get the offer you can also do some back channeling to find out what the norms are right mm -hmm. and, well, and so but yeah, yeah. Right. but uh, right now we're in the preparation phase yeah. i guess but i think i think we should, i don't know i don't know there's that much else to talk about in the preparation phase but well, I think the so the other so so getting people startup requests is is important. I think the other thing to do is to start for yourself making your wish list. And I think that a, a pretty common experience that a lot of graduate students have when they see startups is sticker shock um, because they're like, "Holy shit! How how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, or you know, whatever it is." It's it's a number even if it's fifty thousand dollars it's a number that looks gigantic to you if you're a graduate yeah, student, definitely. Um, and so so getting just getting used to and and then when you see what people actually ask for, um, and so so starting to get in the mindset of like what should I be asking for, and again that's going to be tailored somewhat to to the institution as well as to the category of institution, but starting to to make the list and and actually so in addition to seeing people start up starting to like make your list of what you're going to ask for and and starting to price it out yeah um, that was something that took me a long time as well so when i was starting in alabama um i uh at the time i needed a lot of psychophysiological equipment and that was like you know a totally foreign process to me it was like figuring out the prices of these things and I had to get quotes from places. So it's not just the case that you can like look up a price of something online. You have to be in communication with these different companies. Um, you have to decide which company you want to go with. Um, and so that was also something that like, so something started in advance that helps, but that department chairs will be not happy with me for saying, but you don't have to spend your startup on the stuff you say you're going to spend your startup on. I think you should be honest about what you anticipate, but it's not the case that they're going to say, oh, well, you had that this much. That was the case for me. You did have to spend yeah, it? Yeah, it was oh. earmarked. Okay. Maybe yeah. if it's specific equipment, but I think like things like subject payments versus travel or things like that, that aren't like you don't need a, a invoice. Mm -hmm. um, right. I think they tend to be somewhat flexible on those things. So I wouldn't stress well, excessively about like the specific dollar amount in like travel funds. I mm -hmm. would you can round and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it doesn't it doesn't have to be down to the exact dollar, but uh, and that's actually something um, that could be part of the negotiation that that quite possibly will vary from. Uh, institution to institution is how much flexibility you'll have on how you spend it um, and also how long you can keep it. Yeah, right. And it's very um, common but, to not get clear answers on those things. So like I've yeah. often been told like, well, technically you have this much time, but they've never actually enforced it. Or technically you have yeah. to stick to the category, but who knows when they'll start enforcing that. Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So yeah, so you but but I think so you don't have to have everything down to the dollars and cents, but you do I think that to make a credible negotiation, you know, uh, um, you know, request if if you're able to say like I I need a this kind of psychophys setup and here's a quote from this yeah. from Biopack or whoever or I need a do, video yeah. thing and here's a quote from Noldis no, and yeah. and the nice the good the good news about that if if you're new to this which most graduate students are going to be is that most of these companies that everybody works with for their equipment are used to doing this they they know how the system works you go to Noldis and you say I need a startup and they're going to have people who are going to be able to pull together. I'm just going to be blunt here. Don't go to Noldis. It's so freaking <laughs> expensive. And like, I bought an Noldis with my first startup, and it cost me like half of my startup. I could have done the same thing with a few cameras and tripods. Like, I didn't end up using a lot of the software that's super expensive. So, like, there, yes, it, you can still get the invoice, and then I don't know. Depending on how much flexibility you have, you don't end up have you don't have to go with that company necessarily. If you, you can talk to the department about what, whether there is flexibility there, but. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the equipment stuff I've heard of and in my experience directly with Noldis is like just exorbitant considering that there are cheap alternatives. But Well that that's part of the preparation too is finding out like what vendors and what companies yeah, you're yeah. gonna wanna work with. Because some people but I, I think, mean a lot of people do have Noldis and they like it, right, but right. you wanna talk to like but the you lab have time you're in. to do that. You don't have to do that before you have the offer or even before you go there. Like most places they will let you spend your startup on slightly different brands or different whatever. Like I've seen people stress about their startup down to like, well, I don't know if I'm gonna go to this conference or that conference, or should I ask for three hundred dollars in registration or four hundred dollars in registration? Mm-hmm. That is not what you need to be spending yeah, your time yeah, on yeah, right. at this stage. Like yeah. round, say five hundred dollars for a registration for a conference plus a thousand for the flight and hotel. Do that times however many people are going in your lab, times however many conferences you want to go to. Maybe one international one, it's a little more. That and that's good. And then multiply that by the number of years of your startup, and there's your travel. And like, who cares yeah. if you end up going to one that's slightly more, slightly less? That's not the level of detail you should be stressing about at yeah, this yeah. point. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I think the the way to approach it at this stage is to get some realistic. But not don't don't stress out about it. But get realistic numbers. The way to do that for equipment is through vendors. Mm-hmm. I think a good good people to talk to in your department are the grants administrators because oh, this is smart, something yeah. when people get grants and they have to put travel and they put round numbers. Mm-hmm. They don't price out the exact conference, and so they'll they'll know like oh here's what we usually put in for a you know for a national conference or whatever. So so if you just want and you're just going to need these numbers to fill in it again. You don't have to stress them down to the dollar or even to the hundreds of dollars they just have to be round numbers that look realistic so yeah so that's that's a big part of it is sort of like as the preparation is getting getting your list deciding what you're going to ask for and we'll kind of talk about what to ask for Um, the other thing to be doing at this stage which hopefully you already have in place but is just finding people you can talk to so your mentors are you know your advisor people like that obviously are going to be important but also a really good source at this stage is people who've been through the negotiation process fairly recently. And these, these are often going to be the people you're asking for startup requests from. But if they're students from your lab or from your program who've like got a job a year or two ago or other kinds of things, just having people you can talk to and having them lined up. And people get excited. Mm-hmm. People are mm-hmm. like, people. this is like an exciting time mm-hmm. and people get really excited on your behalf. And I they basically love to like out. forced someone to listen to my negotiation advice last yeah. week against her will. <laughs> I was like, no, you will listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're ready. You've got all the, you've, you've made your list. You've checked it twice. 
you get the call on March 7th or whatever <laughs> it is, um, you've got the offer. Okay. So one other thing so that now, my, um, the, the chair at Alabama Bev told me at the time, um, which was something that I needed to hear because I don't think I knew this was she told me before, well, she told me that I had gotten a job. Um, and then she said, don't tell me if you accept or not. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that's, um, important to know. That, and I didn't know. I was like, great, cool. I wasn't going to do that. Um, <laughs> But yeah. I, I had a, a friend in grad school who had been told not to do that, and she got an offer from a place that she was really excited to go to, <laughs> and she did that anyway. She like they said, we'd like to give you the job, and she goes, I'll take it. <laughs> and and the, it was the chair of the department who was like, okay, that's not I'm how this works. <laughs> so so yeah, so that but that's important to know because people, it's like. If you if you haven't been through this process and nobody's told you, it doesn't seem obvious, right? No, like, not but at all. That's really important. Yeah. So you're not going to give them an answer when they call you up. In you're going to sound excited. Right. I mean, if, if you know for sure the answer is no, that's fine. If you have some other, like you've already taken another offer yeah, or something, right. that's fine. But you're not going to say yes on the phone. You're going to sound excited. You're going to sound grateful, and you're gonna you're gonna take notes about what. They're, they're going to tell you what's going to happen next, hopefully. Um, if not, you should ask them, like, the timeline. you know, how are we going to, what's the timeline? You know, when do you need my startup request? That kind of stuff. Hopefully, you know, you'll be talking to someone who knows what's up and can tell you that. Um, but yeah, so that that's handling the call is just enjoy it, be excited, and don't answer. Don't answer <laughs> any concrete questions, in my opinion. So I've had yeah. one case, and this was... Davis. So it was when I was moving from a job I already had, and maybe this wouldn't happen for an assistant professor, but they asked me a ballpark number for my startup on the phone when they called me to tell me I got the offer. And I tried really, really hard not to give a number and we can get into what to do in, in those tricky situations because I wasn't able to avoid it, but you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to say what salary you're expecting or what startup you're expecting in that conversation. That's, it's like way too yeah. soon. And it's totally fine to say, I'm sorry, this is like brand new information for me. I need some time to process it. Like I'll get back to you. Like, let me know when you need to know by, but I, I haven't had enough time to think about it yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, so I think that the thing to understand at this point, so you, you've gotten the offer is this is now, and and so so some there's some things you want to find out at this point, right? So so one is, as as much as you can know, sort of who are you gonna, actually going to be negotiating with, and because sometimes I think the most common case is you're going to be negotiating with a especially at like an R1 is you're going to be negotiating with a department chair head, um, but sometimes you might be negotiating with a dean, um, and and there's going to be different players and and the. The people that you're negotiating with, they have different roles in the process, and sometimes they have kind of dual roles, right? So on the one hand, the the they want you. They want to get you there. They've put all this time and effort into a search. They want you to show up. Um, and it, hopefully they're thinking of it this way, that it's in their interest to give you what you need to be successful. So, yeah, they don't want to throw money they don't want to waste money throw things unnecessarily at you but also hopefully if they're professional and experienced which most people are although not everybody that they'll understand that they're what they're trying to do is set you up for success and so so i think ha having that understanding not feeling like you're being like you're you're you know, you, it's you're being adversarial or something like that. I think that's the right ad. And if if you get signals that that's not what's going on, because sometimes people, 
not everybody's good about negotiating. Most of the time people are, you know, if you're getting weird signals, having those people to talk to can be really helpful, your mentors and others. But that's kind of should be your starting assumption Mm -hmm. is that they they want they want to give you what you need to be successful. They understand how much it costs and what's what's normal and that kind of thing. There's a couple other reasons why, if especially if it's a chair, you're on the same side, hopefully. And again, not all chairs see it this way. But for you, in order to like feel better about asking for stuff, like it helps me to remind myself, like, first of all, that it's in their interest for the whole department to give good offers, because if they can get a good offer, if they can get the dean to give you a good offer, that sets a precedent. They're going to be able to make better offers to other people in the future, which makes them more competitive and better able. So like the department should see it as like, that's awesome that we were able to make such a good offer to this person. We want a reputation as a department that makes good offers. We want our next offer to be really good so we can get a really good candidate. So in a way, it lifts up the whole department to be able to get a good offer for somebody. The other thing is that if they want you, they don't just want you to come. They want you to come and be happy and stay and not apply for other jobs right away and so on. So even though you think, well, I could make do with this, it's not terrible, it's in their interest as well as yours to get more than the bare minimum that you could scrape by on. It's in their interest that you be satisfied, that you not start looking around, that you not be unhappy and like complaining to other people about your department or applying for other jobs. So the standard should not be like, what can you get by on and you wouldn't be like miserable the standard should be what would make you thrive and be productive and be happy and want to stay yeah and that's absolutely just too um and and understanding the people's roles because a, a common situation which samin you just described is that you're negotiating with a department chair who doesn't entirely and maybe doesn't at all have responsibility for the budget that they're spending yeah, right? right so often oftentimes the person you're negotiating with is is a go-between yeah between you and the dean and so they're they're talking to you you know and and as a representative of the university but then they're turning around and talking to their dean or their vice president of research or somebody else as an advocate for you and trying to get this other part of the university to give them money to give to you and so again that and that's where like having a sort of like doesn't have to be down to dollars and cents but you can say like i got this quote and this is where this number comes from then rather than just I need X thousand dollars for this, that puts them in a better position. They can say this is what it costs. This person said they do this kind of research. This is what the equipment costs. When you can, you know, thinking about framing your startup requests in terms of what you're going to do with it. So to be able to say, like, I need a blah, blah, blah in order to do this study that's going to, you know, this is the kind of work that I do. And in order to do next generation work in this area i need this funding for this equipment or for this the subject payments or whatever else um you know those those kinds of things put put them in a better position to go to their dean and say hey this person needs this because they're going to do xyz with it i have one other piece of general advice about negotiation for people who are uncomfortable negotiating which is probably most people and i got this advice from so when i was interviewing at uc davis i was on sabbatical at a center and one of the other people on sabbatical with me was a woman who had been president of a university. And so and she was like the best resource ever. For, she's been on, on every side of a negotiation at every level. And the best piece of advice she gave me was that it's okay to say out loud what you're thinking. And so if you get caught in a situation and you're like, I don't know what to say, it's okay to say, I don't know what to say. Or if you say, well, I want to ask for this, but I don't want you to think that I'm asking for too much. She was like, well, then just say that. Like I was asking her, like, what would I say if like they're like, ask me for a number and I'm like, well, I think that maybe this is a realistic number, but I'm worried that if I throw out this number, you're going to think I'm being really demanding or whatever. And she's like, you can say that. And I'm like, okay, well, what about like, if I'm like, well, I know that like, if I come to Davis, like I'm going to be your colleague 
colleague and so I don't want you I don't want to like strain our relationship by like negotiating hard with, with you but this is really important to me so I don't know what to do because on one hand this is really important to me on the other hand I know that you're in a difficult position because maybe you can't give it to me and she was like you can say that and I was like oh <laughs> and it helped me so much because I did find myself in that position in that negotiation like several times where I was just like completely stumped and so then I was like I'm just gonna say out loud that I'm completely stumped and I don't know what to do now and it helped a lot I think um so as like a general piece of negotiation advice I think that like being able to say like I feel really uncomfortable negotiating but I'm gonna try to like you know I'm gonna try to like tell you what I think I need and if at any point you think I'm asking for too much you know I'm like please tell me like I would welcome that feedback and like you know, I don't know what's negotiable and what's not, so let me know, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I think you can say all those yeah. things. Right. So what are what are some of the things people should be thinking about asking for? So we've talked about equipment. Mm-hmm. We've talked about uh, subject payments. We've talked about travel. I think summer salary mm-hmm. is something that a lot of people ask for if you're at a, a research institution. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's usually summer salary for one or two months for one or two summers. Yeah. And, and you, you, this is also, so another thing as part of this process is that we, so we talked about sort of tailoring, not just to the category of institution, but the particular institution itself. A lot of times there'll be people at that institution who you met during your interview, who would be happy to tell you, mm-hmm. uh, like what they asked for or yeah, what's normal. Yeah. Or, and you can also ask the person that you're talking to, you can say like, what's, what's the normal, like, you know, what's normal for, cause I, you know, at some places, like course releases are another thing people negotiate for, especially research institutions. And, you know, at my university, the course releases are pretty much, fixed. in my department, they're pretty much standard. Mm-hmm. They're pretty much fixed. And so rather than, like, spending all, how oh, should I ask for this many or that many, if you just ask, they say, oh, well, we just, uh, we always give people this much unless there's, you know, something extraordinary or whatever. Um, also for our listeners so, yeah. who are faculty who already have jobs the best way I think you can help someone you're trying to recruit is to give them really concrete details about what you got and like I tried to do that whenever we were trying to recruit a more junior person or anybody um I told them like hey if especially if I wanted them to come I'd be like hey you know if you want to talk I'm happy to tell you like how I negotiated my salary and what I ended up getting and same with my startup and I think you know women are much less likely to ask for that information and minorities probably too I don't know the the data on that but so you can help people a lot by volunteering that information if you're willing to yep so I think that so what else we've talked about kind of dollars and cents stuff but there's a lot of other things that can come up in negotiation Mm -hmm. so teaching related things um so we talked about course releases which you know, I think you, you have to know what's the norms. If, if you're applying at a small liberal arts college, that might be an odd request, or sometimes it might not be, but you might not, you shouldn't expect, you know, the same numbers at a research institution. Negotiating for what you teach. Um, so, you know, you might want to, there might be a particular course you want to teach, or, or there might be a way you want to do your schedule or something. And so bringing that up seems important. What else? Oh, space. Mm-hmm. The like office space, lab space, grad student space, and that's something where it's really important to find out how the place does things because sometimes you're expected to how like you you get a, a space allocation and your grad students go in your space allocation. Other departments, grad students get offices through departments, so you only need like run space and and shared workspace and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So finding out sort of how space works and then what you should ask for. What else? I um. 
one thing that I wasn't anticipating was considering a graduate student in my first year. So basically like that hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, and then some of the faculty at Alabama suggested that like they had done that. They had taken a student in their first year and it had been like really helpful for them. Um, and that's, so for me, that was relevant to negotiations, um, partly because of graduate student funding and then partly because this is happening at the same time as you would be getting graduate student applicants. Um, so that added like an extra dimension to the process. I also had to, um, like consider graduate student applicants and evaluate their applications and, and do Skype interviews and stuff. I think that's not terribly uncommon. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about sort of flexibility in spending. So just, and sometimes this is negotiable. Sometimes it's just something you should find out. Like, do you just get a giant lump sum to spend how that kind of at one extreme, right? You just, whatever the total adds up to be, you get that. And then regardless of what you said, you spend it on whatever. And the, the other version is that you might, things might be earmarked in different ways. And that'll, that'll depend. There might be broad categories. There might be, you know, I know like for people to do fMRI, they get scan time and mm-hmm. that's got a dollar amount associated with it, but that's not fungible. They can't turn that dollars worth of scan time into dollars of anything else. So finding out the flexibility and and also finding out how long you get to keep the money. Yeah. And this is a, so what do you guys think about, think, yeah, related to that. So like, for example, at Davis, they were like, well, on paper it's three years, but don't worry about it. No one's ever had their money taken away, blah, blah, blah. And one piece of advice I've heard is always get everything in writing, like all this verbal stuff about don't worry, we will, mm-hmm. we'll find an office for your grad student or don't worry, we'll find you lab space or whatever. Um, I've heard the advice, like get everything in writing, like that, those verbal things don't mean anything, blah, blah. I've never been able to like ask for that. So there's some things I would not accept a verbal agreement on. So like, don't worry your, your salary. That's not the, what we put in your offer. will actually give you more than that. Yeah. No, you need to put the exact salary yeah, in the yeah. offer in writing right. or the exact amount of the startup. And I think lab space, I would put in that category too. Although I've known cases where it's like promised lab space that doesn't exist yet. And I've known cases where that ended up not working out too. So I'm curious what yeah. you guys think about how much you should accept as like a verbal, like on good faith, like, don't worry, we will get, come through on this, even though we can't put it in writing versus when you should insist on. The advice that you gave me regarding this, oh, yeah. um, which I, I thought was like worked really well, was to like write an email to the chair summarizing what like I thought we had agreed during our mm-hmm. conversation. Um, and then just like that way that then it's in like in writing Um, and it's clear why you're doing that. So it doesn't feel the same as like, okay, can you like write that down and sign it for me? Like it's, it's not an offer, but it's, there is a written document that you both agreed to. So it's somewhere in between. Right. Yeah. I think the, um, this is good. So this is a little bit more cynical than I actually believe, but I'm not far from this is if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. the, the strongest version of that is that they have provided you an offer letter that has the thing in writing. The next strongest version of that is that the person you were negotiating with or someone in a position of authority like a dean has sent you an email or something saying that they'll give you this. The, the step down from that is what you just described where you write down your understanding of it and you send it to them and you ask them to, you know, confirm or get back to you if you misunderstood anybody. That's starting to get into fuzzy territory. Yeah, okay. And then, it, you know, it goes on down the line. I think that the, 
you're not going to necessarily get everything in writing, but you should ask for everything in writing. And if it's not in writing, you should not be sure that it'll happen. Right. So I think that you can and, take it too yeah. far. Like, I really, really wanted an office with a window at my first job. And, like, 90% of offices had windows. And they were like, don't worry, you'll get an office with a window. And I think I would have looked like a jerk if I was like, can you please amend the offer letter, which then has to go back to the dean and blah, 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 just to put that in when, like, 90% of offices have windows and they know it's important to me and we're going to be colleagues and they're decent human beings. And I did yeah. get an office with a window. So like, and, but it's like also the kind of thing where if I hadn't, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Although I really, really, really wanted right. a window. Well, that, that's the key. Right. That's the key. Yeah. Is happen, that, that like, was something you were willing to be flexible on. If it had I, been something felt that was like I wasn't, make or, right? you, you would have, you, you, but you would have, you would have felt differently if it was a make or break yeah, thing, right? True. If it was yeah. your salary yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. they didn't or whatever. So, so I, I think like, hopefully they're ta- they're speaking to you in good faith and the things that they can't put, that they don't put in writing will happen mm-hmm. i'm just saying don't yeah. assume that they'll happen yeah. and and so you have to if they're if if they're refusing to put something in writing for some reason you really have to ask yourself am i going to be able to live without this mm-hmm. um, and if the answer is yes and sometimes there are things that are more peripheral or mm-hmm. whatever then that's fine mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know of instances of people not having gotten things in writing that they were promised and they didn't get them mm-hmm. and uh, it happens and it's not ne- it's not necessarily just bad faith that mm-hmm. can be part yeah. of it certainly but it can also be that well the person really thought that they were going to be able to give you this thing but then somebody above them changed something. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and if you had it in writing, they would be able to go to that person and say, look, I have this thing in writing. But if they just go to that person and say, I promise this person this thing, they say, well, tough luck. Yeah. I can't give it to you. Yeah. And so, so I guess I'm yeah. just making the point that you can't get everything in writing and you'll look a little bit like a jerk if you're like, no, I want in writing that I'm never going to have an 8 a.m. class. Like, no, like, you pro- I mean, you can try, but it will cost you yeah. some like niceness points to insist on yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think the so so if it's not critical, then you sh- don't have to ask for it in writing. But uh, then don't count on that being yeah, the yeah, case. That's yeah, the yeah. so so yeah. Those those are the it's things that yeah. yeah that you you're if you're willing if you're like I hope I'll get it and I'm gonna trust their good faith. But if I don't get it, I'm not gonna mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. ready to quit my job or miserable. Then then that's fine. But you have to understand that those things might not come mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just I, I've seen yeah, this yeah. this writing thing happen so many times and and. People, I think the people feel, I'm worried the, the bigger, maybe this is just like projection or people I've seen, the bigger risk I worry about is people feel like they're going to be a jerk for asking for something in writing that they should be getting in writing. Right. Um, I do think like it's, it's definitely possible yeah, to go overboard both things and ask happen, for nitpicky yeah. details. I've seen people be really think, paranoid about something. It's like, look, everybody's gotten this. You know, it's not hard yeah. to get. Like, don't worry, you'll get it. Yeah, I think it can go both yeah. ways. So what... Uh, what are some other things in the negotiation? So I think one, one thing is, um, you know, and we, we've just talked about like the asking for too much is a really hard thing because I think most people's instincts are going to feel like a reasonable ask is too much, right? Yes. Like most, most grad students have this reverse sticker shock, yeah. but it is possible to ask for things that are, uh, I, I mean, I, I think that these these stories sort of come up and they get retweeted on Twitter of like somebody got a job pulled uh, 
And I, I think it's a realist. I actually had an offer temporarily pulled once for asking for something that was totally reasonable mm. um, because the, the dean involved uh, was clueless and a jerk, which is not my words. That's what <laughs> the department people told me. Um, uh, and so it, it's, it, it did happen to me once um, for, for things that I feel zero guilt about having asked for. Mm. But you do hear these stories about like somebody was at a liberal arts college and they asked for course releases and they're like, wait, we do teaching. Why do you want release from your main duty or whatever? And so I think the finding out what's sort of what's been asked for before and what's within bounds. Right. And I think the thing you mentioned Samin before, which is just like saying, you know, like if you're not sure, just saying like, is this an okay thing to be asking for. Right. So I, I you know, think you don't like, want to do that constantly and be insecure, yeah. but I think no, for but some I think, things you, I think that yeah. the way you ask matters a lot. So like what happened with me at Davis, and again, this, it's not the typical situation because I was changing jobs rather than on the market, but so the, the chair called me and told me I had the offer and then asked me for a ballpark number for startup. And I was not prepared for that at all. Luckily I had talked to my friend who gave me negotiation advice and I said, like, I don't know what to say. Like, I haven't thought about it. And he's like, just give me a ballpark. Like, you don't, you know, we can revise it later, blah, blah. And he, he was really, really persistent. And I, I could not get out of the conversation without giving a number. And I was like really stressed out. And so I said, like, I don't know what to say because on one hand, I'm afraid of highballing you. And then you're going to think I'm a jerk. And then you're gonna think I'm totally unreasonable. On the other hand, if I let that be my concern and I give a low number to not look bad, then I'm going to regret that and, like, that's going to hurt me and my ability to do research and support my grad students. So, like, I'm stuck between these, like, this pull to not want to look unreasonable but then also to want to make sure I get what I need and I don't know what that is yet. So if you ask me to say a number right now, I'm going to err on the high side because I'm, I'm more worried about, like, going too low and then not being able to adjust that later. And I, since I haven't had time to think about it, if I have to err in one direction or the other, I'm going to err on the high side. So, like, do you still want me to give you a number if I'm going to err on the high side? And he said, yes. And I was like, okay, but know that, like, this may not be reasonable. And I know that. I know this may not be reasonable, but you're asking me for a number before I've had time to think about it, so I'm going to err on the high side. And I said, like, like four times. And finally he's like, yes, I mean, just give me a number. So I gave him a number which was probably, I would say, double what I might have asked. I don't know, maybe not quite, but much higher than what I would have asked if he had given me more time. And I got that amount. So, like, that's a story of, like, what you might think is unreasonable might actually be reasonable. I hope he's not listening. You totally should have asked for more. So <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, like, there are times where, like, you think they're going to say no, and they come back and they're like, yep, yeah, that's what we were thinking. Like, that's reasonable. But then I've also had times where they tell me something is not negotiable. That's the highest we can go. That's mm -hmm. the most blah, blah, blah. So, like, say, like, with salary, for example. Like, mm -hmm. that's the most we can go, blah, blah. And you're like, really? Because salary is my most important thing. Like, I'll give up other things, blah, blah. And they're like, nope, there's no flexibility. And then you get another offer, and they're like, oh, okay, you want 15000 more? That's fine. And then you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you told me you couldn't go higher. And they probably weren't lying. It probably was the case that the dean wasn't going to go higher without that other salary or whatever. But it's so hard to know when no means no and when it doesn't and what's going to be reasonable and what's going to be like, we thought you would ask for even more and what's going to be like, we thought you were going to ask for half of that. It's so hard to predict. Yeah. Which isn't very so let's advice. let's talk about the sort of multiple offers thing because I think that that's a good sort of lead into that. So so you know this is certainly not everybody will be in this position. Not everybody will be in the position of having an offer, but having it does happen sometimes where you have multiple offers. And I I think one thing to understand is that that puts you in a very good position during a negotiation. And I think sometimes people feel like they should just say yes to something and not wait to have other offers come in or that they feel dirty if they're pitting places against each other. And 
No, because I think that story is a really good illustration, Samin, of how, and this happens a lot, that people people on the other side of the table from you don't know how to price things perfectly, and they'll that will be signal to them. And they might, you know, some dean might say, the most I can pay is this many dollars a year. And then they get an outside offer, and they're like, oh, well, okay. And so um, that just puts you in a really good position. It also, unless you're absolutely sure you don't want to take that other offer they might show up and give you something amazing and so just don't turn down something if you if you've got an opportunity to have multiple even offers if you're absolutely sure sort of pit them against each i other. think i think if you have multiple offers i think you're supposed to let each place make at least one offer maybe a counter offer you don't want it to go on forever so i would say an offer and a counter offer from each place is absolutely reasonable even if you're sure that you know which one you're going to pick no matter what. I would say even then, yeah. like that's you're not being a jerk. You're not taking advantage of anyone. That's what's expected. And you earned that other offer. So just because you don't want it doesn't mean you don't deserve the credit for getting it and what it's going to get you. What's going to get you is the other place realizing that you're competitive and having a very concrete measure of how competitive you are. So you earn that, and I don't think you should abuse it, but you can use it in the very standard way of saying, well, here's the other offer. What? Tell me what you can do. Like, you're not saying, like, if you don't do this, I'm not going to come. Don't bluff. You never say, if I don't get this, I'm not going to come, if that's not true. Never do that. I would say never bluff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, like, yeah, like, I, I've never been in a position where I absolutely knew for sure, but I think it's fine even if you absolutely know for sure. And I think you know, what you do is you just let them know the information. You don't pressure them necessarily. You don't make any threats or whatever. You just say like, here's my situation. And I'm going to decide once I know what the best offer both places can make is. And I've had places say, okay, well, what would it take to guarantee that you'll accept our offer? And then I say, I don't know. I don't have a, like, there's nothing, I don't have the secret rule in my mind where if some some person crosses this threshold or some school crosses this threshold, then I'm immediately going to accept their offer. You just have to tell me what's the best you can do, and then I'll take that information, and I'll weigh it, and I'll decide, and I don't know how I'm going to decide. I don't know what my algorithm is going to be. There's no formula I can tell you that if you offer this much or this much more than the other place, then I'll accept. So you don't have, even if they try to pin you down, you don't have to tell them exactly how you're going to make their decision. You just tell them, I'm just curious. I'd like to see what the offers are, what the best offers are that each place can make, and then I'll decide. And that's, you have every right to do that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people may not be in this mindset perfectly, but the thing we talked about earlier about, like, they, it's in their interest to get you and for you to be happy. It's like if some other place is willing, that you don't even want to go, maybe, or that you're not sure about, is willing to make you a better offer, then probably in a year or two, some place you would go to mm-hmm. would make you the same mm-hmm. offer. And so it's kind you're of in their interest time, to, like, yeah, yeah, yeah to, to make sure that you're not going to get poached in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they, they may not be thinking of it in those terms. I wouldn't like tell yeah. them that, but, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a totally legitimate thing. And so I think, yeah, if you've got multiple offers, um, you know, just, sh- yeah. And you can be really straight, like Samin said, you can be really straightforward. Don't, don't bluff. Also don't tell them I'm not going to take this one, but just see if you can match it. Don't yeah. say that either, but you just show that, just be honest and just say, I got, here's the offer I got from so-and-so, um, can you beat that? Or, you know, what's the best you can do? And and give them a chance to, to do it. And tell them and, what dimensions you care the most yeah. about. So if salary is the most important to you, yeah. tell them that. If it's startup, tell them that. If it's t- course release or whatever. My advice would be salary yeah. matters a lot more than other things because it's it compounds over time, the raises and so on. So I think a lot of people think they care more about other things than salary. But And 
I'm one of those people, like, I don't think I care about salary, but I think rationally it should be at the top of most people's list. Unless you're asking for, like, a partner hire or something like that, that might be, that might trump other categories, but. Yeah. So, okay. Any, what else? What else do people the, need to know about negotiating? We should talk about the deadline thing, even though we don't have a lot of time, yeah. but I think it's an important one. Yeah. So, so deadlines, yeah. Deadlines, one of the things, there's a huge variety in how different universities and departments handle deadlines, right? So some will say, here's your offer, take as much time as you need. I, I, I have a feeling that that's getting less common. I got that when I was on the job market 13 years ago. I don't, I think I had one place give me a deadline, but uh, um, Oregon didn't give me a deadline. They just said, take your time. Um, but I, I feel like it's becoming more common. Some places will give you a long amount of time. Some will give you a week exploding UK, offer. UK say, offers, at least when I was on the market, gave you 24 hours. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. I got one, yeah. um, wow. a, a rejection. But I, So I went on a UK interview, and then I had my WashU interview. And so I knew I would get – they tell you when you're going to get the decision. And I knew it would be during the WashU interview. And if I got it, I would have 24 hours to decide whether to take it while I was on the WashU interview. I didn't get it, so that was a moot point. But mm-hmm. I also got the rejection during yeah. the WashU interview, which was interesting. But So, yeah, so I think the there, – and there's the, – the deadline thing is complicated because there's different – factors at play and there, there's different reasons for it right so one is like they may want to like pressure you and not have you be able to get an outside offer yeah. um, but i think it's also important to keep in mind that they also they put a lot of time and energy into a search and they have a number two that they they, they might have a number two that they want right. to go to and they're afraid of losing that person so it's not necessarily nefarious or like pressuring you although even if that's not their motivation it can have that effect Right, that that you you know you don't have an opportunity to necessarily wait for things. So one one thing to to th- to just keep in mind is that they may not say yes, but you can ask f- if they tell you, oh, you've got a week, and you're like, oh, well, I'm you know, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, I'm still waiting to hear back from so and so. You can just it's okay to say I'm waiting to hear back from another university. They're going to, they're not going to get back to me in a week because they've told me their timeline. Can I have more time? They might say no, but it's, it's totally okay to ask. Mm-hmm. You don't have to accept. You might the want deadline. to reassure them that it's not because the other place is like your top choice. Like you might want, if it's, especially if it's true, but even if it's not, if you're asking for more time because you're waiting on another university, it might also be nice to reassure them that you are really excited about their offer. Yeah. Cause it can yeah, sound like, definitely. well, maybe, but there's this other place I like better, you know? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. 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 You want to communicate like it kind of, you know, I want to, I want to have all my oh, options no. in front of it's me so I can make life. the best like, decision. This is, yeah. This is a really, yeah. really big decision for you. So yeah. it's okay to ask for things. Yeah. Like and time. hopefully if they're grown ups, they'll understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so and often I don't de- know, like, often deadlines keep re like the two week deadline or whatever starts over again when they make when you like negotiate and so you ask for can you what about this can you change that they change that and then the deadline changes again so the initial deadline they gave you may not be the final one um, usually there's at least some flexibility like maybe an extra it's po- usually possible to get at least an extra week or ten days or something yeah yep but yeah it's possible that they really do there really is a like very a lot of time pressure on their end and there might not be anything you can do about that. Yeah. And, and this is also, so there's this, this concept in negotiations. Uh, um, it comes from the book, getting to yes, which is a really good negotiation book, the BATNA, which stands for best alternative to negotiated agreement. And so the, the, your BATNA is 
what's the if you don't reach an agreement with whoever you're negotiating with and so in the case of a job like if you don't agree to accept the offer what's the best alternative and the idea is you shouldn't ever accept an offer that's not as good as your batna that's like a sort of rock bottom thing right like if you have some other thing that you'd rather do than take this offer then you shouldn't take the offer right and so universities who are negotiating with you they also have a batna and so knowing what their batna is like is what are they facing are they facing well there's somebody a number 2 that they're almost as excited about or is yeah. there batna that they're going to have to have an empty search and run this again and spend all this time and resources you may not know that you may not be able to find that out but that if you have a deadline come up that could put you in a very different position if the deadline is just because they're you know trying to put pressure on you and it turns out that they don't have a number two that they would make an offer to um you you may be able to negotiate the deadline a lot more effectively as well as other things in the negotiation um yeah mm -hmm. but you it's, might also it's important be able to get to, more time if yeah. you are pretty sure you're gonna accept the offers you can tell them that so like if you're in a situation where you're like look i'm very optimistic that i'm gonna accept this offer but there's like a couple of things i need to work out or like there's some whatever and you can say like I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't bluff about this, but if you really mean it, I think telling them that might help you buy more time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think you're, the advice yeah. that you got of just be honest about everything yeah. is is good meta advice for all of this. I think people, people think, of, a lot of people, especially if they haven't done a lot of negotiating before and if they have that, like, uncomfortable or ick reaction, mm -hmm. which a lot of people have, um, just a totally normal thing it's because they've seen negotiations in movies where the like you know slimy businessman mm -hmm. is doing mm -hmm. the negotiating or whatever and they think that's what it's supposed to be like and so sometimes people go so far as to think they're supposed to model their own behavior on that mm -hmm. and i think this is really important is like you don't have to disclose everything so honesty not in the sense of complete honesty but everything you say should be honest and you shouldn't deliberately create a wrong impression by omission you can certainly leave things out if you don't think it's in your strategic interest but you know you shouldn't like create a wrong impression like you know yeah. if you if you're like i have another offer but you don't want to tell them what it is or whatever because you're still negotiating and you know whatever those things that's fine yeah but yeah i think the like being just being honest about things is is a really good approach and, and is you know, yeah, <laughs> surprisingly, yeah. if you've watched too many movies, surprisingly effective. Yeah. So like what Alexa said earlier about like, don't say yes, I'll take the job <laughs> right away. You can say <laughs> things like, I'm really hopeful yeah. that this will work out. I would love for this to work out. Like right. this is my top yeah. choice on paper and like after visiting. And so like, I'm really excited about this possibility. I'm really hopeful that we can get to an agreement that we're all happy with. So I've said stuff like yep. that. Which is basically, yeah. they know what that means. They get it. They get that it means that you're probably going to accept. But right. yeah, you're still in a position to negotiate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, yeah. Is there anything else people need to know? I guess, and we didn't talk too much about partners. That's so complicated. Um, I feel like it would be hard to. <laughs> that's probably a whole episode. <laughs> We're pretty far into the episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah maybe. Uh, and I, I don't know, none of us have, have done a partner negotiation, so um, I don't know that we can, I guess, uh, yeah, I'd, maybe we should save that. We might talk about that in the future or not or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything else people need to know? Mm -hmm. I would say that maybe my closing thought would be kind of similar to the interview where it's like it it's easy to get make yourself anxious and worried, but 
you should try as much as possible to view this as like an exciting thing. I would view the negotiation mm-hmm. the same way. Yeah, I agree. Like trying to make contact with the positive aspects that this is like, they want you to succeed. You want to succeed. You're asking for the things you need to succeed and feel good about your career. And you're excited. You want to take this job. You can communicate that, like all those things, like the more you sort of are in touch with the, like the good positive parts of it, I think those, you know, the vast majority of people you're going to be dealing with are going to be dealing with you in good faith and are going to, and, and those kinds of, that kind of attitude and expressions are going to have positive effects. Yeah. And just like you're worried about what they think of you, they're worried about what you think of them. They want you to like them. They want you to feel like they're being generous and so on. So it goes both ways. You are, you've started the relationship at that point. These are, if you accept the offer, these are going to be your colleagues. You're now interacting as colleagues. And so the relationship is important. You want to protect it, but so do they, which means they want to like try to give you what you want, or at least try to explain to you what's possible and what's not in a way that feels honest and straightforward. Mm hmm. Hopefully. And if not, if you don't get that vibe, that's something to take into account in your decision about whether or not to accept the job. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well, uh, I think that probably wraps it up. Uh, So good luck, everybody, negotiating. And I I hope you get what you want. And especially if you're negotiating for a job for my department, I hope you get what you want and come. (laughs) And uh, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time.